Hey everyone, welcome to the Sega Saturn Podcast, or the Saturn Cast, with David. Hi. And Kay. Hello. And uh, I thought uh, basically we wanted to start a podcast about the Saturn stuff because there really wasn't really, really any stuff for the Saturn. It was all Dreamcast or Genesis or some other topic. 32X. 32X, yeah. But that, we should have done a 32X cast instead. That would be awesome. Do a total of one episode, right? We're already done. We're yep. done. Yeah. So that was a good podcast. Good. You forgot to introduce yourself. Yeah, you did. Oh, Who yeah. are you? And, oh, I forgot. And uh, I'm Patrick. Oh, Our venerable host. Yes. Well, you're, we're all hosts. We're all equal in the eyes of everybody. But uh, yeah, let's, um, let's start with sort of introductions. Did you want to start, David? Sure. Hi, guys. I'm Dave. I'm from San Diego, California. I grew up in Reno, Nevada. And... Uh, see how I how did I get into the Saturn basically um, was lined up in a queue for Mario 64 Christmas of 96 and I was waiting to play this game and I saw a demo of Nights into Dreams and it kind of caught my interest and pretty much made me forget all about Mario 64 or at least not want to wait in that long line you know for another hour or whatever and so I was determined to pick myself up a Sega Saturn, at which time was pretty easy to do, since lots of folks were just selling them off for nothing, um, because it was Christmas 96 and everybody wanted to get a Nintendo 64. So I went into a, a little game shop right across from my high school. It was called Game Force, and it's still there. And I bought my first Sega Saturn for 40 bucks. And the guy threw it into a shopping bag very unceremoniously with a tangled web of controllers and hookups and gave me a copy of Myst and I believe Daytona USA. And that's how I got my start. My brother and I pretty much teamed up and decided to, you know, give this console some love and buy some games for it and and we would just stay up all night playing the Sega Saturn, hooked up to an old Commodore 64 monitor, and it was lots of fun. And that's how I got into the Saturn. And that's now, awesome. yeah, now it's kind of a just a thing of nostalgia. I wouldn't, I would never lie and say that there wasn't a huge degree of nostalgia attached to it because it does definitely remind me of some of the best years of my, you know, teenage youth growing up. You know, reminds me of my brother. It was definitely our thing. My dad was a musician and he played the PlayStation. That was kind of his thing and he let us play it. But the Saturn was definitely ours. So it kind of felt like like it was our thing and we kind of went in a different direction. So nowadays I just, I really enjoy playing the console because I'm always finding new games for it. That, uh, or even if they're games that I'm aware of, they're not games that I've spent any kind of significant time with. So, you know, when I pop them in and I go, wow, you know, this console just has the ability to surprise me again and again, even today. So yeah. that's that's my story. Yeah. And did you get that like in '97 or? Yeah. So it was. Uh, I was a freshman going into high school, the fall of '97. Please so don't date this... people here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't need to do that. But uh, so I, yeah, it would, it would have been. Gosh, it would have been. Yeah, '97 that I got that. So uh, and then. 98 nothing was happening 
on the Saturn, but games were super cheap, you know. Um, did you want me to keep talking, or do you want to move on to somebody else? I mean, I've got more to say, but... <laughs> I got you. Well, just a basic introduction. I think that was pretty good. Yeah. All I will say, one more thing, is that uh, that copy of Enemy Zero sat on the shelves for, like, it sat on the same shelves of that EB for, like, six months while I waited for Christmas to come. And my uncle, like I just told him, go to EB, it'll be there. You can find it. Nobody wants it. And and he bought it for me. And so that's another that's another little awesome. you know, nugget. It's a solid game. Solid game. It is. It is. All right. Did you wanna you wanna go K? Yeah, what the heck? Um I uh I wasn't interested in the Saturn at all when it came out. Uh it was way too bloody expensive. And um uh, I guess I was a Nintendo fanboy growing up, for the most part. Fair enough. Uh, but what had actually turned me off from uh, from Nintendo was the N64. So I grew up in Hawaii, and uh, every day after school, um, I'd go either to the bowling alley for the arcade, um, or I'd go down to uh, Pearl Ridge, which is a big, like a, a mega mall as far as Hawaii is concerned. Um, and there's a Toys R Us right on the outskirts of it. And they'd have all the video game consoles set up on kiosks. And you got to try everything out. And um, I would spend a lot of time playing, uh, like trying to play Mario 64 or uh, Tekken 2 on the PlayStation. But what I ended up actually playing you know, the most out of um was Virtual Fighter 2 on the Saturn. It was just really smooth. Um, nice. Played really well. And I couldn't stand the idea of 3D Mario. Um, like, Mario gets a mushroom, he gets big, uh, and he gets hit by an enemy, and you know, he gets small and then dies, not having a life bar. <laughs> it was just really uh, weird to me to see that. So I felt kind of, like, abandoned, I guess, by... You know, Nintendo, it, just, it didn't feel right anymore. Hmm. Uh, and this is still, of course, long before, like, Ocarina of Time or anything else that had come out later on. I'm a huge Zelda fanboy. How old were you at this time? Uh, it was um, probably, it. like, a sophomore in high school. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I started getting into um, in Hawaii were, you know, smack dab between um, the U.S. and Japan. Mm-hmm. And um, we have a very large population of um, you know, native Japanese and you know, second g- generation uh, Japanese. So there is a huge market for import in Hawaii, at least in the, in the early to mid 90s. And there was a, uh, a game store, it wasn't retro at the time, and now it'd be <laughs> retro, but you could pick up pretty much any import game you'd be interested in. You know, as long as you're playing, you know, uh, willing to pay the uh, cost. And a series caught my eye. I was really into wrestling video games. And the series was Fire Pro Wrestling. Good game, so, good game. Good game, yeah. I, I started getting really into uh, you know, the advent of the internet and, you know, Horizons expanding, learning about, you know, Fire Pro, specifically like Super Fire Pro X Premium, I think it was. Um, and then finding out that uh, Human Entertainment put Fire Pro um, Six Men Scramble on the Saturn. And it was, you know, the idea of 
popping in a six-player adapter and having you know, six human players in, in a wrestling game was fascinating to me. Um, so that you know, started getting me interested in the Saturn. Um, you know, I, this is a couple of years after launch, obviously. Uh, and then uh, what sealed the deal was Virtual On. Um, it was a pretty decent port. It's not the, the greatest port ever, but it was a pretty decent port. Except that we didn't, you know, have the sticks. We just had to use the, at the time, the boomerang controller. Ouch. Yeah. Definitely not the most, uh, the most fun way to play that game. No, yeah. no, not at all. Um, so, uh, a buddy of mine worked at a Blockbuster video and told me they were starting to clearance out some, uh, some consoles and asked me if I wanted a Saturn. And I think he sold it to me with, like, um, it was actually a PlayStation molded, uh, blockbuster carrying case um okay i want to say it was like 30 bucks maybe 40 bucks for that two controllers the hookups i didn't come with any games but the first games i ended up buying were virtual on um and then i imported uh fire pro wrestling s six men scramble um so that's how i got started uh with the saturn i'd say probably within six months i um modded it to have a region switch because i was getting a lot of japanese games uh, wow that's that cool point. that you had that outlet was the action replays hard to find uh, back then no that was also one of my first purchases but um the thing with the action replay is that uh at, at the time um it was like a good 50 60 dollar device and oh, uh, yeah it's not as cheap as it was now but it was also much better made back in those days Sure. Uh, and had more components. It, uh, you had a little port on the top, looks like a parallel printer port. Hmm. So if I have one of those, that means it's an original? Yeah. Because it has the little EMS sticker on the back and it says guaranteed. Yeah. And then I have another one that doesn't. And it still says EMS, but so it's probably a third-party Chinese. Well, they're all, um, I think they were all made by EMS, but they ended up redesigning it because that, that port on the top is for um, what's called a PC comms link. Yeah. And uh, it's an ISA only. Like, if anyone knows PC terminology from like the early sure. 90s, yeah. uh, it's an ISA card. You couldn't find it in a PCI version. No, um, it's parallel. It's not even, well, I mean, it's a parallel Parallel port, port but it's, oh, style. Okay. But it's, it's a comms link, like a serial connection. Mm-hmm. So, um, any case, way off the fucker. Uh, those things were, were expensive um, back then, and um, I did a lot of studying, and uh, the region switch on a Saturn is actually really easy to do if you're only going between U.S. and Japan. Um, so, you know, got out a, a soldering iron. It's just a and, trace, right? Um, yeah, I mean, you, you take a, a single pull, double throw switch, I believe it was, and... Mm. Um, you just uh, drop three connections into the three region sections to switch between ground and plus five. Mm-hmm. Um, and which format you provided, like US versus um, Japan was just alternating of two of those resistors or two of those jumpers. Uh, so I, I took a soldering iron. This is my, my first Saturn story that's horribly like, like nightmarish. Um, an old Radio Shack soldering iron that I'm pretty sure I still have somewhere. And I melted a hole in the top of the case because I didn't have a Dremel. 
or drill or anything of that nature. That um, works. <laughs> it made a hole and I, you know, sanded it out with some sandpaper and then attached a round button uh, toggle switch to it. Sure. Um, looked pretty nice at that time if you didn't pull off the button and look underneath at this horrible melted, you know, black mess. But that was uh, my first Saturn that I ended up getting region switched. Um, and then I want to say like two months later, I sent it off through uh, Toys and Joys, which was that import store that was near my house. Um, and uh, they actually got it with a mod chip in it. And I still have that mod chip from 1998. That's sick. Nice. And I've been uh, a Saturn fan ever since. <laughs> cool. That's a really cool story. How about you, Patrick? All right. Well, uh, my name is Patrick. Uh, I'm currently in Arizona. I do, uh, I do a mixture of a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of modding, uh, just a lot of vid- video stuff, video modifications, things like that, RGB stuff. But uh, yeah, um, the funny thing is, I actually never heard of the Saturn until about 2005. I lived in. Uh, I used to live in New Jersey, and by the time I, got, I by the time I got into a lot of the uh, the games and things like that, it was about the Dreamcast was coming out, and I guess sure. maybe they it wasn't advertised at all in the East Coast, so I never. I, I talked to my parents and everybody, and they never heard of the Saturn or really saw anything in the store. So I don't know if maybe they just don't remember, but. Essentially, I just went from uh, Sega Game Gear to uh, Dreamcast, and then from after the Dreamcast died, it was really Nintendo. Wasn't about 2005. I I was in a game store and they had a Saturn. I was like, "A Saturn? What's that?" And the guy was saying it was the the, the system before the Dreamcast. You know, 32-bit system. And mm-hmm. I I didn't have any idea what he was talking about. I was like, "What?" I think I think it was like 12 or 11 back then. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't really know much about it. So, I I, pick, I actually didn't pick it up until a few years later. Uh, funny enough, I picked it up because it had Virtual On on it. Uh, it, had, it, was this in, it was in this little arcade in, uh, in, um, in Arizona. I used to play it all the time with a couple of friends. And I never could find it on any other system, but I learned that it was on the Saturn. So, I picked it up. Uh, picked up a Saturn for 50 bucks. That game for about... 25 and uh yeah i've been in love ever since been playing playing fighting games and any amount of game any games fighting games shoot 'em ups mostly mm-hmm. but it's definitely a nice system a nice piece of tech even though uh most of the games by the time i got into it were over 50 to 100 dollars so most of my yeah, saturn library cool. is in japanese <laughs> Very I can cool. see though. I can kind of see how, as a kid, in that you're not the only one that apparently thinks that it was like Genesis to Dreamcast, and like just didn't realize there was this other console in the middle there. Because I've heard other people say that in the early '90s, like in '93, there were so many other like Me Too consoles coming out that you almost kind of got desensitized as a kid. Like if you were like a Super mm-hmm. Nintendo kid, and you were just like happy with what you had there with all your RPGs and contra and everything you know you'd read magazines and you'd kind of see like the sega cdx or you'd see the cdi or you'd see the xi you know like there were so many pieces of hardware coming out that you it almost made your head spin and then there was like the the i'm I'm drawing a blank nintendo uh virtual boy you know there was all these other there was always all this filler there some more successful than other the 3do 
I can I can imagine how you might miss the Saturn, you know, with such terrible U.S. marketing. Oh, very bad. You know, and then just like a, a botched launch and everything like that. I can see how you could just be oblivious to it, you know, because there were so many other things vying for your attention back then. And uh, if you didn't have like a ton of money, you just weren't even thinking about it. it, it instead, you were thinking, how am I going to spend the next like $40 was a lot of money. You might be like, you know, I'm going to get the next Donkey Kong game or something. And because games weren't cheap back then either. No, right? no. They were, cart. well, the cart-based games were, you know, 60 to 70 bucks, you know, Toys R Us. So it was a big investment. And I can, I can understand how the Saturn passed people up. It would have passed me up as well if I hadn't, you know, because I was, I was going for Nintendo 64, you know. And then it just happened to catch my eye, but I hadn't heard about it till nights. So that's 96, which means I missed it in 94 and 95. Yeah, man. Yeah. It, I mean, that we all missed the... it in 94, though, didn't we? Yeah. Wow. November. Until 95, uh, right? Uh, 95, right? In the US? Well, no, I mean, like, okay, but I was reading game magazines. Like oh, that. yeah. I wasn't, that's I wasn't looking. I was not reading about what was going on in Japan, even though I was in, interested in, like, importing on the super nintendo side of things like i wasn't really even paying attention at that time you know and i wasn't playing my genesis anymore at that time either you know because i was i was kind of a nintendo fanboy as well so anyway i'm just saying i'm just saying like i can kind of see how that happened and then and then 2005 is kind of a that's when people started collecting for it again because like you said prices were starting to go up you know yeah man it's uh it's really cool that people are getting into it now, especially with the Japanese library. I mean, the the U.S. really got shafted on that library for the most part, but oh yeah, I think now that Japan has all these games as well, that's a little bit easier to you know get a big library for it and more oh, games sure. than just you know a couple couple ports and half-assed uh, games coming out, right? It's just it's getting much more difficult. Like I started getting very serious about my Saturn collection again, probably in 2010, 2011. Mm-hmm. And um, made my biggest you know, pushes towards um, you know, my collection in, I would say, 2013, 2014. Was, uh, you know, I, w- I would say that would be my collecting heyday. <laughs> um, and that was about the... I guess the, the the best example I can give um, is this currently Panzer Dragon Saga. Right? Like everyone knows, this game is incredibly expensive right now, right? It's somewhere in like the four or five hundred dollar range on eBay. Sure. Mm-hmm. Probably more than uh, that. And no, four, four to five hundred. Oh yeah, in a couple of years. In a couple of years, yeah. But just I'm thinking like right now. Like I I bought that game in 2010 for 125 dollars from a friend <laughs> of mine um, at the Portland Retro Gaming Expo. And you probably and, thought that was a lot. You know, I've been waiting for it to come down. <laughs> like, I, I had wanted it for years, um, but I've been waiting for it to come down, and it just wasn't getting lower. Um, and my buddy, uh, Danny, gave me a good deal on that and another game. I think it was um, uh, Symphony of the Night. Uh, so I picked both of those you know, relatively heavy hitters, and I paid less than $200 for the, the pair. But looking in, you know, that was 2010, 2011, you know, moving into like, you know, 2013, um, all of the major shmups 
and on the uh, Japanese market, which is what a lot of people go after, right? In Saturn collecting are, are the shoot 'em ups. Um, they are they were beginning to be out of price range. You know, even when I had like a pretty decent job and a lot of expendable cash at the time. Um, I think uh, Hyper Duel was a three hundred dollar game around then. Now it's like five or six. So just a matter yeah, of like I've seen it at seven. Oh god. I mean, it, I don't know who paid that, but I've seen it. Yeah. So the what I think is um, really nice about the Japanese market is that they got a lot of the games that were high priced in the U.S. Um, and they're completely playable, you know, without knowing Japanese. Um, some of them a lot more so than others. Uh, but the they were common over there in comparison to the U.S. market having you know, poor marketing, um, the console pricing itself you know, kind of out of the market from the get-go and never really recovering from that, um, not having you know, a massive marketing mascot like you know, Mario or Crash Bandicoot. Uh, we end up seeing... Well, having rest- one and not using it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unless you want I'm a sorry, Sonic. <laughs> missing in action. Yeah. Yeah. It's really sad about what ended up happening, but you know, come 1998, and you're looking at uh, games like House of the Dead, and the U.S. It ended up being like a 50 plus dollar game, and I don't think it ever really went down. You know, they had like its clearance time and it was gone, but it didn't have a lot of wide release. Yet you can pick it up in Japan for anywhere from like 15 to 20 dollars. Mm-hmm. So that level of games where you have a lot of really good quality games that are comparable to the ones that we had in the U.S. as far as actually you know, like the title for title. Sure. Um, but we're looking at the exclusives, and those are going to start to get priced out of a lot of people's range, mm-hmm. like we're talking about. Yeah, it's funny um, that you should mention, you know, just the the disparity between Japanese games and U.S. games and the library, the difference in libraries. And um, it's funny, I, I'm sure you guys are familiar with Jeremy Parrish from uh, retro, you know, retronauts and one up network. He called, he, uh, he called the Saturn, the lost child of a house divided. And I really think that that's an apt title for it because it really talks to the fact it speaks to the fact that Sega of Japan and Sega of America just could not get along. And the Saturn was really caught in the middle and it, it suffered the most from the falling out between those two branches of Sega and uh, you know every design choice the heart from the hardware to the software they just couldn't get could not agree and so it ends up um, all the way down the line affecting eventually you know the libraries and uh, from a collector standpoint you know if you're looking at it from the US it's kind of bleak but if you're looking at it from the Japan side you know then all these options are opened up to you but um, yeah it, it really is it, it really is a story of, you know, two different countries and two different branches of Sega just not being ever able to get on the same page. And it was ultimately their downfall. I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah, you, you, can see the, yeah you can see it with the Dreamcast, though, but, I mean, it was about, a little bit too late by then. I mean, they already oh, had that sure. reputation on them. So, I mean, even though it, I it mean, was... I mean, we could do a whole podcast. We could do, like, a whole podcast or a series of podcasts of what-ifs. Like, what if Sega had done this? You know, what if they had done that? I mean, what if the Dreamcast had a DVD drive instead? Yep, but... <laughs> instead of a... 
What we have you know. is uh, it's just what what happened, you know. This is true. You know, I, a lot of that is what makes these consoles kind of unique unique in the first place. Go ahead, go ahead, Kay. There's um, the U.S. library gets a lot of crap, and yes. I, I I almost sometimes feel like it's unfair in a I'm way because. You. There is actually quite a bit of decent titles. There's just also quite a bit of shovelware and mm-hmm. crap. And um, we look at the, the Japanese library, and they had a lot of exclusives that were amazing that really could have been brought over fairly easily. Sure. Um, like Thunder Force, you know, for example. That that would have sold, like, you know, gangbusters over here. They have a lot of shovelware, too, though. Lots of Mahjong yes. and lots of Gal games. You know, I mean, so it's like, it's kind yeah. of, look at the ratio. I'm I'm with you on that. And in fact, in this podcast, I guarantee you, you two collectively know more about the Japanese market than I do. I mean, I've got, admittedly, I've got probably a burned copy of every Japanese game that's worth playing on the console. But I don't know it from an owner's perspective and a collector's perspective like you guys do. But I'm firmly entrenched in, uh, you know, love of the U.S. side of things. And I'm so tired of the cliche that every Saturn podcast or every episode has to trash on the U.S. library and say, you know, well, if all you ever know is the U.S. library, then it's a piece of shit. And um, oh, but once, you know, you get on the Japanese side of things, then, you know, it's great. That's not true at all. Like I was completely happy, completely satisfied with with a lot of the games that we got. And sure, you know. You know, sure, I would I would be holding out for different games, you know, like Wild Arms or, um, uh, like you know, Heart of Darkness that ne- we never got, that never saw the light of day, and you know, we never got Tomb Raider two, and we never got Resident Evil two, and you know, um, and then there were even some Japanese imports that we didn't that we could have gotten that we didn't get mm-hmm. because Bernie Solar didn't want to invest in the. Oh, uh, <laughs> well, you know, it's not all his fault. But, you know, he did not want to invest in the localizing because that's really expensive. And a lot of those RPG titles are incredibly wordy. So he was just thinking he was just thinking in business in terms of business, you know, a spreadsheet. And I can see how that how it made sense, you know, uh, dollars and cents, you know. But from a fan's perspective, it was it was crushing, you know, very much. so. I just think personally, in my opinion, I I'm kind of in the middle about that. Well, I do think the U.S. library is definitely not anywhere close to the Japanese library. Sure. And I don't think it's, like, the worst thing, but, I mean, it's definitely, like, if the U- U.S. sound was 4 out of 10, the Japanese sound would be 9 out of 10 in terms of that. There's there's a lot of good Ooh. stuff that came out, and there's a lot of, mm. there, I don't know, there's a lot of really good good games that came out in the U.S., but... Just the proportion compared to what came out in Japan and what came out in the U.S. was... It really wasn't a contest, to be honest. I mean, yeah, there was a lot of hentai and mahjong games and all shovelware in Japan, but... There was a lot I of mean, there was a lot of great games, too. I mean, Grandia yeah, yeah. is one of the... Oh, my God, if I could just get Grandia in English on the Saturn. Nobody wants to do that. <laughs> I don't think anyone's saying that the Japanese um, library had, you know, crap in it. I mean, there was crap in it, yes, but... I think what what really is coming out of this, I'm pretty sure that with all of us being Saturn fanboys, we can easily name off 10 games or more out of the U.S. library that are actually damn good. One of the sure. problems is going to be is that, that those same titles probably came out in Japan as well. Oh, right? yeah. It, it, there wasn't a whole heck of a lot of U.S. exclusives um, on the Saturn that, you know, are 
make it a, a you know a, a single game that you have to buy this system for you know only in the u.s kind of a thing but mm-hmm. if we were to compare not the japanese saturn library um to the u.s library but the u.s saturn library to like the usn64 library i That's am a no contest for uh, me for me either I can find barely 10 games that I actually want to own on an N64. Very yeah. true. I think I've got an EverDrive. Yeah. I've got an EverDrive crammed with every game on there, and I find it I find it hard just to find a game to select to play that I'm like even mildly interested in at right. this point. Because most of those games just have not aged well, Mario 64 being one of the few exceptions. I really Dude, just, I, think I, it... I just hate that game. <laughs> that's fine. No, yeah. I mean, that's fine. Go ahead. I just think it boils really boils down at the end of the day to not what library is better, but just the the sign of the times for three D games and the first three D games that are released. Because I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's the main culprit for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, because if you think about it, how many three D games on the Saturn do you want to play right now compared to all the really great two D games that you'd want to play for it? And the same thing with the N sixty four. They actually had two D games, but. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, there's, you know, just like pixel art saw kind of a reemergence uh, and uh, several years ago and there, you know, with new comics and new game, indie games being developed. I kind of think that early 3d, that kind of early, like janky 3d is coming back in, in some way. Um, at least like the art that where it's the art of limitation, basically. Um, the art of like trying to make something amazing out of like so many limitations. Um, and I think that, um, I think that I I like quite a bit of Saturn 3d games. I mean, I think it's like 50, 50 for me. I love all the 2d games. And then I like a lot of the 3d games too. That's just me. But would you, but if, if it came down to the worst 2d games, the worst 3d game, would, would you pick the 3d game or the 2d one? Ooh, no. Yeah. Probably the, the worst (laughs) Uh, probably That's the worst a really, 2D game. Would Would you like to shoot yourself in the head with a Beretta or a Glock? Right? Yeah, I guess so. But when it comes down to it, I personally would rather play a bad 2D game than a bad 3D game. Because the 2D game, because the worst 2D game would probably control better. You exactly, know? and it, it would be less. It'd be for the most part a little bit less clunky. Hypothetically. Speaking. Yeah, but I mean. Maybe we can do that one day. We'll yeah. do, a, do a shit showdown. See, write it down. Write it down so that we yeah. remember. <laughs> Worst Saturn games of all time. But head to I, head. I really think the, the the main point of the comment that I was trying to make there is that the U.S. library gets crapped on, and none of us so are in the European, you know, realm. So I can only imagine how bad their library gets crapped on. Right, because not only do they have the problem of having you know minimal English localization, but they also have the added problem of playing most of these or you know, a lot of these games in uh, 50 kilohertz. So it's uh, slower, you know, like was like 10% slower than True. the NTSC library. I actually think so, they fixed that. Didn't they fix that on the Saturn by that time though? No. Oh. Well, some some games would be optimized. But uh, towards the end there, Sega was not taking any time or money on optimizing them. For You can mod the system to overcome that issue. For yeah. sure. And it a lot of PAL users just buy a Japanese console. A lot. I mean, they're doing mm-hmm. what everybody else is doing. They're 
I mean, they're aware of the issue, and they don't have that issue today with modern game consoles. So they ju- they'll just buy a Japanese console and go NTSC. And a step down converter. Yeah, with a step down converter, or you know, um, I mean, I guess you would. Yeah, you'd have to have a transform, a step down transformer for that. Yeah, yeah so- I think it's like one hundred and sixty. No, two hundred, right? Two twenty. 220 down to 120 yeah down to 120 yeah you'd definitely want to step down yeah there's a lot of debate on the japanese versus u.s step down but when it comes to europe and anywhere yeah there are tolerances there are tolerances but we can get into that in a later podcast yeah you know well i'm i'm i have my neo geo cdz plugged into the wall or well it's plugged into a power conditioner but not not much more than that you know so I gotcha. Well, uh, speaking of the uh, the U.S. And Japanese library and expensive games, why don't we get into our, our main topic for this podcast? Your our top five uh, recommended Saturn games for new collectors. You should sure. start this one. I gotcha. Patrick, you should start this. I got gotcha. yeah, you. I got gotcha. you. Well, uh, one of the uh, the things we discussed on here is uh is that it for a new collector it might be a little bit hard to get into the Saturn. Seeing that every game that you'd be interested in on eBay is probably in the hundred dollar, eighty to hundred dollar range or higher potentially. I mean, a lot of the common ones, you mean like Die Hard Arcade or even Street Fighter Alpha Two. Those ones command pretty high prices, even though they're they're seen as common. But uh, I guess I also really start off. Um, I really just want to talk about games that you know. If you're a new collector, you go to a a game store or maybe a convention and you see a Saturn, just five games that you'd want to pick up and maybe buy once you're there to get a good feel of the console and not break the bank. So uh, I also go first, um, and we, we sort of alternate between games. Uh, one of the ones that I thought was a good suggestion and pre- pretty much everyone seemed to go with was uh, Nights into Dreams. It's a fun little... Uh, it's a must-own, I think. Yeah. Yes. It, it's a. It's. A, I guess if you don't know what that is, it's basically your. Uh, are you sleeping or something? Or it's, it's basically your 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 character sleeping, and you go into this dream realm with this knight-looking guy, and you go through hoops. Yeah, and you you uh, what's the word? You meld or like become one with with knights and you it's a score attack game it's basically like a racing score attack game i hate it that people call it a platformer and i guess they do that because when you start out for one second you're like walking on uh you know on like a 3d plane as elliot or claris so people think that it's a platformer but it's really it's really like its own thing but it's like a it's 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 the gameplay can get pretty deep in so much as like just getting building on your score and just doing better and better it can get addictive and um it's a it's really fun but it is definitely unique and it it comes from that time in the mid 90s when sega was putting out a lot of arcade games that were like based on score attack you know and it's a really neat game i i think it's really unique for just any console because it's it really especially the sonic team because it's not like a 2d side scroller it's really it's really ballsy that they went with that instead of making a sonic game for the saturn because I think it really, really shows the true colors of the Saturn, the power, the, the enjoyment, uh, the the, and especially if you're in the music, the, the sound chip on the thing. Oh, absolutely. I think it really the showed off. What, yeah. 
the programming was just brilliant. Um, it was Yuji Naka and Sonic Team, and I'm just, you know, I think that after three Sonic games, they were just kind of tired of it, and they just kind of went off in their own direction, and by that time, he was kind of God, so just, <laughs> I could just let him do it, you know? Um, thank goodness for this. Thank goodness Honestly. for that. Although, at the same time, that resulted in them turning over Sonic Extreme to America, which was a terrible idea. But I understand, you know, by that time why he would be just kind of burnt out on Sonic and wouldn't want to do that. He had this thing kind of in his pocket for a while and um, he was just mulling it over. I can, uh, so, you know, he was just, he was just itching to make this game and I'm really glad that he did. So one of the things that I'm involved with up here in the Northwest is um, Callot's Gamers for Kids. And um, I run the, uh, the tournament that happens here. Uh, each year and this year's tournament um we really wanted to showcase the saturn because in previous years we've done you know like smash brothers or you know street fighter whatever um but we actually did uh nights into dreams as um we we had it demoed and our actual tournament was for christmas nights and if if nothing else i mean not only is this unique to the Saturn, um, it's I don't think there's a single other game out there that comes even close to this genre. Right? And can you think of anything that's even remotely close to it? Not even. Yeah. Not, not really. Nope. I mean, it's just... It's like... Uh, you know... I mean, it's it's 2.5D, so, you know, a lot of the times visually I go back to, like, Pandemonium, how yeah. that kind of had that kind of, like, 2.5D and, like, Klonoa, but those are definitely platformers, you know? You can move yeah. it, you, you can really move it, like, the slowest pace you want, you can time your jumps and everything. With Knights, it's just really about getting getting those orbs and and making as many loops as many going as many rounds as you possibly can and just building up your multipliers and then um when you do get the you know when you do get the uh special when you do like the gymnastics thing you know you just like are tapping on that right shoulder button while you're like close to the ceiling or the floor to you know get boost your multipliers or you can just you know you can actually do tricks the way that it was intended but i know that people have found ways to just speed run that and and build up their multiple multipliers but um yeah no it, it's impossible for me to c- really compare this game to anything else and it's funny that at the time everybody just compared it to uh to mario 64 and crash mm-hmm. bandicoot because it was like the only thing sega had that was a mascot character you know so yes. it kind of became the face of the system whether whether that's what yuji naka wanted or not you know yeah i am definitely a, a big fan of this uh of this game and um, I'm going to segue into one of the, my choices because um, I actually have Christmas Nights into Dreams uh, as like my option, uh, oh. or one of my options for this. And the reason being, like Nights into Dreams um, came in a couple of different packages in the U.S. with and without the 3D controller, which you know, it, I would say that the definitive experience is with the 3D controller, but it is playable without it for sure. So. Um, Christmas Nights was a demo that was given away for free um, in some magazines. Uh, and David, correct me if I'm wrong on any of these facts. Um, as uh, It was given away as a demo in both the U.S. and in Europe. Um, and it was presented as a demo, and I think included with a couple of pack-ins. Um, I believe for- you could buy it in block at Blockbuster. 
for a discounted cost if you rented another. another well, game. I mean, yeah, it was kind of one of those things where it was up at the front at, at a kiosk and they were giving them away at block. Either it was either given away or you could buy it for like a dollar or nice. something like that with a rental uh, of the Saturn or one of, with a video game rental. Um, yeah, and I'm not I sure it ever got. Oh, it was it was also given away at some video game stores, but I don't I don't remember if it was EB or or what. But you're right about the magazine, uh, the free magazine giveaway. So oh, and, and the Brits they could buy it at game as well. If they missed the magazine, they could get nice. it at game. So the reason why I'm putting this on this list is that um, the U.S. version, um, especially around Christmas time, uh, the price spikes. And uh, we, I have been watching it because we did this tournament. We tried to uh, get legitimate copies for everybody um, for the tournament, uh, and it, it normally goes somewhere between forty and sixty dollars. But around Christmas time, it starts to spike, and it, it's in a way disappointing because it's a demo, right? But the DLC. reason, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the reason why this game is amazing, and I actually put this above Knights itself. This is not to sure. take away anything from Knights, but it was so packed, full of surprises, so of uh, Easter eggs. Um, it was it made it really innovative use of the um, clock functionality on the Saturn. If you have the date turned to certain uh, dates, like Christmas Eve, uh, New Year's, uh, Valentine's Day, um, you will see different effects happen in your game. You know the environment changes. Uh, most of the time, it's just a, like a demo version of Nights. You know, anywhere I think from like March until November, it's just Nights. But you know, rolling around into the winter seasons, the holiday seasons, you'll start to see snowfall and becomes Christmas Nights on Christmas Eve and Happy New Year Nights on you know New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. Um, snow will fall during those time periods, or you'll have Valentine like hearts falling during Valentine's Day. Yeah, it was phenomenal what they did with this and it was a demo and they just gave it away to us you know yeah so in japan you forgot about sonic into dreams too oh yeah sonic into dream is in there as well yeah i want to leave some secrets right (laughs) oh too okay spoiler so is uh so is this is the japanese and the english one any different from each other or is it essentially the same game even i think it's the same thing same thing um uh, i think the voiceovers were done in japanese um, and that's really about it. But the gameplay doesn't change. And let's be honest, this game wasn't really about story. It's about score attack. Mm-hmm. So you're not missing much if you don't see that intro video. And honestly, if you yeah, want to see... Yeah, but you're missing intro, all the bosses, though. You, you're missing all the boss battles. Well, you're missing all the boss... Playing you're missing the this. wise man. And you're missing twin seeds. And you're... You, I, I think... I would argue that both... It's 50-50 for me. I definitely think there's enough content in Christmas Nights to set it aside as its own game. I don't even consider it... I consider it a must-own, full-fledged, you know, experience with plenty of of stuff. And it really should have... If only they could have released everything on one disc, right? But uh, exactly, yeah. But I, I do think I do think they both stand alone for sure. But uh, you know, they really they really showed you what you could do with the A Life system and the music, you know, and um, with with Christmas nights. So the main thing is is that you know we're in in Japan. Christmas nights is like a fifteen dollar game, and it's common. You can find it anywhere, so you can still experience you know 
all of this bonus content. It, it definitely is like I pers for me personally, I put it above, you know, Knights, and mm -hmm. I'm a Knights fan. I have you ever seen that 3D lenticular poster for Knights? Oh yeah. Uh huh. So I've got one of those in, well, two of them in a light box. So it's like my Knights sign. I love this wow. game. I even imported like the Korean version of the handheld Knights. Still wow. sealed. Nice. So I, I am a Knights fan. Um, I like Christmas Knights better because of the content and all the extra bonuses that you can do. Um, the cool thing is the Japanese one actually, I think it has a nicer packaging compared to the US one. Yeah. 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 But, but... Both of them definitely must owns for the system. So, were you like a member of the Nights into Dreams forum with Digi Valentine back in no. the day? No, I, just I, a big Knights fan. Okay. Yeah, just a big Knights fan. Cool. Didn't even know that existed. Well, guess yeah. I know what I'm joining after this podcast is over. Yeah, go <laughs> listen to the Dreamcast. There's actually a podcast called the Dreamcast. Yeah, of course there like, is. It was him and his girlfriend, maybe somebody else. I don't know, but it was it was pretty cool. DreamPod's pretty good, too. Oh, DreamPod, yeah. For sure. Okay, off topic. All right, so uh, did you want to go into your uh, uh, your selection, uh, Dave? So you just want me to list one game? Because kind of how I did this, I mean, I don't mind going last, but I kind of did this as like a shopping list. Like if you had 200 bucks and you really wanted to get into the Saturn, this is what I recommend that you do. Do you, do you want me to just list off one game? Well, or do you well, want we're to just going to wait for just one game each, so okay. we can well, just give our different um, views and information for it, so we're not just shotgunning it. Sure, sure. Um, let's talk about Panzer Dragoon, the original. I think that um, I'm going to call this one if you're if you're starting out. Um, I definitely think that Zvi is a better game, but I think that Panzer Dragoon uh, is an amazing launch title, and I think that it does still stand up. I think that it's a it's a fun on rails shooter and um and i think that it's worth owning and and it's affordable enough you know that you can that it's not going to break the bank you know if you're just starting out with saturn what do you guys think i think that's a that's an excellent choice i played it i played it before it's a it's a pretty fun it's a pretty fun game and definitely really shows off a lot, a lot of the uh a lot of what this the what they can't could and couldn't do with the saturn in ways. for sure I mean, if you hook it up to a stereo, a good stereo system too, you know, just the soundtrack is amazing. Yeah, I mean, all the say this the sound. I know it's going to sound like a repetitive, but the the soundtrack was excellent, and I think Sega really knew how to how to take control of that sound chip. I mean, from all, all really all their games: uh, Daytona USA, Sega Rally, uh, Knights, Panzer Dragoon. All the games sounded excellent. Excellent sound design. Excellent soundtracks. The cool thing with Panzer Dragoon too is that, uh, or with Panzer Dragoon as well, <laughs> is that, is that um, it, its soundtrack was fully orchestral. So it was CD Redbook audio, but um, it was just you know, and I and I agree with you. I, I I really do love quite a few of the games that utilize the actual sound uh, hardware of the Saturn because I do think that it had a good sound library. But I I do just love the Panzer Dragoon soundtrack. Um, and you know it's now it's out on vinyl from data discs and it's just it's just worth listening for sure definitely just get a pair of headphones close your eyes turn off all the lights and go into a world of dragons well I mean not for like sure. Game of Thrones but I'm mixed on this one um, everything that um, that 
one didn't quite accomplish uh, Zwig, um, you know, Panzer Dragon 2 got. And the price difference, you know, even though all the prices are going up, it's... Well, it's over 50. Simple. It's over 50, and I thought we set that as our limit. I mean, uh, I, well, okay, you get, you get a disc only. Are we talking disc only here? Well, or... uh, my friend just picked up for about 35 like at a game store recently. Panzer Dragon 2, complete. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, 2, I thought you meant 1. No, yeah, 1. I do mean 1, but he's talking about he's talking about 2. Yeah. I would recommend 2 over 1 any day um, mm-hmm. if money is no object, you know, and I would I would also recommend that you pick up the long or I would recommend that you pick it up complete with the manual. Um, there's a lot of information in there that just isn't explained to you in the game, you know, about how sure. the branching paths and stuff like that. I think and you get a Japanese copy for cheap too. Yeah, and yeah, there, that's true. You know, you can uh, you can definitely save a lot of money just going exclusively Japanese on a lot of these games, and it's not really they're already speaking gibberish anyway. So um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there is some plot. There is there definitely is some storytelling. Uh, and that's uh, done in subs, but if you really don't care about the story and you can kind of glean what's going on just from the visuals, then I'd say go for it. I played a lot of Panzer Dragoon 1 at that Toys R Us when they swapped it out for uh, the Virtual Fighter, and it is it, it is definitely an experience. Um, the, uh, the audio, like you guys mentioned, is just phenomenal. But as a starting collector, I also recommend it because I don't think you should ever go backwards. You know, I think that if you're yeah. if you're experiencing it for the you'll you'll appreciate it for what it is, and then when you get Zvi, you'll appreciate that just as much more, just like we did. Versus if you if you open up with Zvi, you might get the original as as a collector, but you're never going to want to play. Yeah, you, I, I think this is a solid choice. Um, said if me personally if i had picked between one and two i would probably have gone console yeah i'd probably do two as well but one is you're just gonna have you're gonna have just a good time with one as you are with two so even if it's like you have to pick one i definitely would do i don't would get one just to experience that and like he said just get two a little bit later on but yeah if you have to pick one yeah then go with two probably did you play the um the port or you know, whatever it was um, on the Xbox or, or the PS2. Well, or oh, really? oh, you're talking about the you're talking about the Sega Ages port. Well, there, there was a Sega Ages port on PS2, but Orta had like a, an unlockable to play the Saturn version of um, Panzer Dragoon. Oh, I didn't right. even know that. And that was a port of the PC version, which. Um, you know, I I, I, I had pl- I've played the PC version, the Sega PC version, um, but I haven't played that unlockable version, and I've only played a little bit of Orta, so I can't speak to that. Um, solid choice. Yeah. Um. Well, I guess another one that like, another one that I decided to go with uh, as well as the Japanese version of Die Hard Arcade or uh, Dynamite Decca if you live in uh, if you live in Japan, but. Uh, uh, I went with the Japanese version because it's definitely a lot cheaper. I think, I think I paid eight to twelve bucks for it when I got it in the Japanese version, and essentially it's just like the U.S. version, like one for one, besides a couple of Japanese text here and there. But all the commands for buttons are, you know, jump, uh, attack, kick, punch. Uh, I think the only thing that are uh, there are little subtitles on the side, but 
The same thing with House of the Dead, but that's a, a different game. But if you don't know really you about, say... oh, go ahead. Uh, if you don't really know about Die Hard Arcade, is essentially uh, essentially a beat 'em up for these for the uh, really a beat 'em up that came out in the arcades, and it's sort of loosely based off of the off of the Die Hard license, where you're in a tower and you have to fight you have to fight people. But after those two, it sort of branches off. It, the story is like you have to. You're two cops, well, if you're multiplayer, and you have to rescue the president's daughter from these terrorists and try to save the tower and save the president's daughter. And it's a it's a really fun game. Uh, the ending is kind of really weird, but it will. I think it's weird if you play two players. It's fine if yeah. you're one player, but it is weird. It's really <laughs> and I'm strange. I'm not gonna spoil it. <laughs> yeah, you gotta play it, but that ending is really friend. strange. Yeah. But yeah, definitely, uh, definitely my choice. It's extremely cheap. It's really fun. And really, I've never gotten bored with it. I played it like 25 times, and it's still fun beat 'em up, and it's hilarious. Especially was that one of the first games that used quick time events? Um, from what I know, be. maybe. Like I, I never, I've, I'd never even, I was never familiar with quick time events before that game came out in the arcade. So that was like a novel idea to me. And I thought, I thought it was really cool. And then it was something that Sega ended up doing a lot. Yeah, but uh, where were you? At? Did you guys uh, play a lot of Die Hard Arcade when you had the Saturn, or well, when you first got into it? Oh yeah, I mean, I played it on the STV in the arcades, and then it came. It was uh, it was arcade first, right? Yeah, and then yeah. and then it came home, and um, I had a copy of it, and I played it with my brother quite a bit. So yeah, that was a lot of fun. I did not get it until. Um, actually after Dynamite Cop on the Dreamcast came out that was kind of what got my interest into it it was Dynamite Cop right that was the sequel yeah Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so I actually had no experience with that game until like 2002 2003 Um, what I did play a lot of (laughs) was the Die Hard trilogy which is nowhere near as good yeah Yeah, my favorite thing about it was uh, just giving my brother a hard time with the only fire, you know? (laughs) Just just punch him while the thing's ending or whatever? Or just shoot shoot him. You know, we'd be working together and then shoot him with the bazooka. (laughs) That's fun. You'd be like, what the fuck? Yeah, because that was more fun than, you know, shooting the NPCs. I did the same thing in in Streets of Rage. I was going to like stab him with a knife or just kick him over. Yeah. But that's Street Fighter awesome. Rage stuff. But yeah, uh, it's definitely a really good game if you want to really get get a really good beat 'em up for the Saturn library, and it's pretty cheap too in Japan. I think it's like fifty to eighty in America, but still, you can't go wrong with it. Even if you paid that much for it, you, I definitely could. I could see myself playing that like multiple times over and over again. Yeah, I wasn't. I didn't realize that it was that expensive in America. Yeah, it, I, it became popular. But I mean, I thought it could be had for like sixty. I, it seems, I feel like I've seen it for sixty. Probably, and the prices might even change, uh, change by the time anyone's listening to this. But uh, yeah, that's basically my cool. choice. That's uh, a solid choice. What about uh, what about UK? Um, I put in uh, Assault Suit Lanos Two. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, it's um, how'd you describe this? Kind of like a 
a platforming shooter. And it's a sequel to a Genesis game that I never owned, so I always forget what it was. No, this is Japanese only, right? It is Japanese only, yeah. But it's an affordable game, though. It is. I mean, shoot 'em ups or shooters in general doesn't matter whether it's like a standard shoot 'em up or any other type of command um, a price. Yeah, they do command prices, but there are still some out there, even in Japan, um, that are under fifty bucks. I, I think I see this um, pretty steadily around the thirty to forty dollar mark, uh, and it's actually a great game. Um, uh, trying to remember what the game it was. Target Earth. It was uh, the sequel to Target Earth, and I think that um, the Assault Suit. Um, series was also on the Super Nintendo at some point too, right? Anyone? Uh, yeah. Oh. Uh, in in Japan. So, oh, didn't it come out? Ah, uh, well, this recall. is a Saturn podcast, so yeah. no, who cares about the Super Nintendo? But yeah. uh, I actually never played the Assault Suit. What exactly is it about? Uh, you're a mech. Um, it's a 2D shooting uh, platformer. And it's uh, brilliant. I, mean, I don't know how else to, to really explain it. For being um, like a sleeper hit on the Genesis for, with Target Earth, this is also kind of like a you know in the know Saturn game. Um, the gameplay is really excellent. For such like a... what could you? What would you compare it to for for Patrick? Like would you? It's not quite like Bungayo. It's um, it's not like as frantic, but it. No, it's not like them. on a 2D plane, but you're yeah. like using your boosters and you're There's just all over the place. There's a yeah. lot of stuff going on at, at all times. I was almost going to go to Bangayo for, <laughs> for, for kind a of reference. I mean, but that's like, you know, anti-gravity oh, no. just all over the yeah. place. But but it, um, I just remember I, all I can really say about this game is that the controls are just so tight. It's one of those. It's one of those games mm-hmm. that if you're not into mech games, you might be turned off of, to it just because of like the muted color palette and the fact that it's you know you're a mech. But it's not like any kind of. It's not like any of those other mech games that you might have played. It's just so fast and tight and fluid. Like that's all I can say is it really is fun to play, and it's you don't want to put the controller down. It's going to end up becoming one of those games that people will start to discover For that sure. because it, it was Japanese exclusive. Um, that when, well, we're gonna, when we're gonna make start. it. A, we're gonna make it the next Radiant Silver Gun right here. Two hundred dollars oh, game confirmed. Buy it now. <laughs> Buy it now. Yeah. Right. Hold up stock. Um, I I don't know. I was I was a latecomer to this one as well, but it had been on my list for years and years and years. And yeah. um, this is one that um, I've not seen anyone who's played this game, like actually played this game, uh, not like it. And it was Cybernator. Cybernator on the Super Nintendo. Okay, yes. Okay. Nice. Cybernator. Cybernator. That is that is that is really the perfect example. Um, although there's like with Cybernator, there's like multiple levels. Like you're yeah. You're, there's a lot of verticality to that game, but it is probably the closest thing, the closest comparison that you could draw. It, they're all from the same you know source uh, material, right? They're all assault suits. That one was assault suits Vulcan. Oh. F- Sure. Okay. And then Konami that released was just a common name here. Yeah, a cybernator here. But in any case, um, I, I love every time I play this game. I don't play it for very long, unfortunately, with the four-year-olds. But uh, it is 
tight controls. Um, I, I thought decent level design and lots of lots of fun. And I don't know if you talked about muted, muted palettes. It's amazing. It's just amazing. Okay, I'm gonna shut up now. Cool. All right. Oh, um, is it my turn again? Yeah. yeah. Um, we have we have uh, after you, David. We'll do one more, and then we're about like in the hour mark. So I'm gonna okay. I'll stretch it down. So. We'll I changed one more my choice. More. I changed my choice, but but this is going to allow me to talk about two games in one. Um, cool. Because before, when we started out this podcast, we were talking about you know 2D games versus 3D games, okay? Mm-hmm. And this is this is my choice. Layer Section Two. Um, That's nice. I absolutely love this game. It's a 3D shmup. I mean, it, it is 2D, but it's using 3D polygonal graphics. It is the it's the uh, it's the successor to Galactic Attack or Layer Section, mm-hmm. um, and uh, what what was it in uh, in PAL territories? I can't remember right now. Uh, it's, I'm not. It's not coming. Anyway, so Galactic Attack was brilliant, and um, and I love Galactic Attack, and it's a it is a 2D sh- um, vertical shooter. Um, that takes place on many levels. So you have a it was it was gun lock originally, and then you have like this gun that you can lock on to um, to enemy craft that are like several layers below you, um, and so it's just got like it's got this really cool mechanic, you know, and um, it's got more de- it's just got a bit more depth than your typical uh, shooter. So that's a really great game, but I really want to push Layer Section 2 because I do think that it's a brilliant uh, game that utilizes 3D visuals, and um, it's got really tight controls. The graphics are beautiful. The color is is just... I feel like it's just perfect, and it's a shooter that you can actually afford on the Saturn. You know, It is ja- Japan only uh, for Layer Section 2, but I do think that it's one that I want to recommend. Nice. For those looking uh, for the European, it was Gunlock. Oh, it was in, and it was originally Ray Force. Ray Force, and that's what it was released on the PS One as, right? Yeah. Yeah, Ray Force. Great yeah, that's, choice. That's on my list though to get for shmups next. I gotta. Yeah, it's. I feel like it's just gonna keep going up, um, but it, it's just one of those ones that uh, you know. I've I've compared it. I've done a comparison uh, Saturn versus PS One, and. It's funny because the the PS One does kind of render 3D graphics a little smoother due to its like Z, the um, just the um, the filtering that it has, you know, the hardware filtering that the PlayStation has, and the ability to map a, uh, textures onto several uh, vertices, you know, at mm-hmm. the same time. Whereas the Saturn does that weird thing where it like splits everything, it splits textures up into individual sprites. Um, but there is something about the Saturn version on a CRT that just looks better to me. Um, so I'm going to say that, that I prefer the Saturn version. Very nice. Nice. And the side note to that being that Galactic Attack for a U.S. game is still not crazy priced. For sure. That's what I was going <laughs> to mention as well. I get to talk about games because I think they're both must-owns for the cons. What's the, uh, what is the average price for sort of a later section? 40, I think 40 bucks for both of them. Mm. That's off the top of my head. Um, is it a two for one sort of deal where you get both the games with one game, or? I think I think you can get it. Okay, I'm sorry. I think you can get a complete in box co- uh, domestic copy of Galactic Attack for forty if you're patient. 
Um, if you're not patient or you're not willing to hunt around, you're probably going to pay like 45 or 50. Um, layer section two, I think is also about $40 complete in box shipped from Japan. So, so the U S got the first one, but we didn't get a uh, layer. We got section the first, yeah. We got the first one, which is a brilliant game. And if all you can do is play the, the domestic one, you know, you're not, you're not doing too bad, but I, I still, I still prefer layer section two <laughs> over the original. So you would say if that if somebody had a choice at like a game con it was layer section one and two you'd layer section two. two I would two. what do you think Kay? I big in Japanese games I am big in Japanese games um, similar a lot of these games got better with the sequels you know they, they took the same formulas and they just made them better so it's like Assault Suit Lenos two you know I mean I think yeah same thing if. I guess that the real trick to this is making sure that you know you know how to play imports on whatever Saturn you end up getting. Right? That might be a stumbling block for some people. But sure. with with shmups, um, and I think we we talked about possibly doing this in future episodes where you know we talk about imports that are um, you know uh, no Japanese required or minimal Japanese language required, so English speakers natively can play a lot of these games. This is going to be one of them. You're you can't go wrong with this game. And when you see that first boss battle, it's like the the fluidity of the motion. Um, they ju- they just got it right with this game. Like, and and this is one of those games. I feel like um, it plays. It usually stays locked at like um, close to sixty frames per second. So when you see it, you just say, you know, whoever said that the Saturn can't do three D is just full of shit. You know, because it really is a, a it's a visual showpiece for the console. I think. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. And I'm looking right now on eBay as you're speaking about it. Um, U.S. Galactic Attack has you know some buy it nows in the forty dollar to fifty dollar range, and um, Layer Section Two has at least a couple of buy it nows that are under um, fifty, right about uh, right about sixty if you count shipping. Um, so you know, don't wait on these you know these games if you are a collector of the actual you know, original software discs, the manuals, you want that whole package. Um, these are not going to last much longer at these prices. You know, they're already, what, say like 20, 30% higher than they were a couple of years ago. Yeah. I was imagining you like the, you know, the QVC network and it's like flashing the game on the screen. This deal won't <laughs> last forever. If you miss it now, you're going to die. So and get if you it. Are like, if you're like excuse, exclusively disc only, you still should get it now because there's it's it's going to be a lot cheaper and there's really no reason to wait because even the disc only is going to go up as the complete goes up you know so yeah. if you just if you're just interested in playing the game then you know it's probably like 20 bucks yeah it's about there that sounds good so uh let's move on to our final choices um so one of the things i had a hard time to do is sort of narrow down the last choice and I think I found a good medium. I decided to go with the King of Fighters 97, which is actually the last game, last game that came out, the last King of Fighters game that came out on the Sega Saturn before the move to 98 on the Dreamcast and the Neo Geo if you have millions of dollars. But uh, <laughs> How but much is this game? Uh, the US copy, I got it for fairly cheap. I think I got it for under 20 bucks for KOF 97. Uh, and the cool thing about it is... Compared- There's a U.S. copy of KOF 97? Uh, sorry, did I say U.S. copy? Yeah. I meant... Uh, I was, I like, to- about to quit the podcast and <laughs> <laughs> buy it immediately, just drive down. 
I yeah. was just like, what? How could I have missed this? But uh, yeah, I decided to go with uh, King of Fighters 97, the last game on the Dreamcast. Um, I decided to go with King of Fighters 97, the last game, last King of Fighters game on the Sega Saturn. Uh, mostly because uh, it's actually one of the King of Fighters that doesn't require a cartridge to play. Especially if you're importing. Okay, I, so how much does it cost again? Um, it's only about to, about about twenty five to thirty for a for a copy of it. It's okay, because I was gonna have you make the argument of why they should choose this over Street Fighter Alpha Two. I see. Yeah. Uh, personally, um, it's just my personal opinion. I think that KOF ninety seven I think had a lot more fun than Street Fighter Alpha Two. Uh, oh sure. I think I think I it's a so more of a simplified fighter compared to the other one. It's a you know, four button Neo Geo game. Right. Uh, it's nice and fast paced. It has a it has a the cool thing you can play singles or a three man tournament if you guys are familiar with King of Fighters Absolutely. style. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's a fun little neat little fighting game. You have to participate in this tournament and you become you need you want to become a winner with either on a singles or a, or a triple team where you can select three different characters. And was this your favorite King of Fighters game? I'm just uh, curious. Personally, I think it's one of my favorites. I think I'm stuck between 98 and 97. That's what I hear people say all the time. 97 is the best. And other people say like 98 or 99. But uh, I've heard a lot of people say 97 is the best in the series. Yeah, it's a, it sort of uh, came out right before, right before the peak where 98 would have hit that peak and it sort of started going downhill a bit. Right. Especially when SNK got bought out by Playmore, yes. and became SNK Playmore, some of the games were rushed and were really not really not the best King of Fighters. But uh, I just control. I just think it's a really fun really fun fighting game. And if you need one, want one fighting game and you really want that mixture of singles, triples, and all these different modes, I think it probably is one of the best versions. And especially if you're a King of Fighters fan. And I think that price is is lower than some of the Capcom fighters, so... Yeah. That's a solid recommendation. Yeah. There's a buy it now right uh, right this moment. Buy it now for twenty four ninety nine plus ten dollars in shipping. That's that's a good deal. Yeah, it really is. I mean I mean but have you guys played uh, any of the King of Fighters or, or any SNK fans at all? I I don't own uh, I don't own a copy of it. You're making me think about it. Um, I have a copy I have played quite a bit of King of Fighters. I, I have 97 on my uh, CDC, um, and once it gets, it, it takes a little while to load, but once it's loaded up, it's pretty much, you're good to go. Um, and you're right, it is it is really fast and responsive, and it, it controls well. I do think it's one of the best in the series. I really like King of Fighters 95 for nostalgic purposes, but I do think 97 was uh, much, much of an improvement. With the backgrounds and uh, just the character animation, because I do think that they they improved on the sprites uh, from ninety seven to from ninety five to ninety seven. Yeah, and the Saturn is really just that really just great for two D fighters. I mean, to it be really honest, is. I usually tell people if they want to get into SNK, they should get a Saturn because there's a ton of SNK games that are released for the Saturn, and most and there are of a lot them of fighters that don't require the RAM cards. Exactly. I think maybe one. I think maybe only ninety-five and ninety-six do. Ninety-five requires a ROM cart. So yeah. if if you have the game without the cart, you're SOL. You can't play it. Yeah. You can't play it at all. Um, but interesting tidbit: it did come out in the PAL territory. So there is an English version of King of Fighters ninety-five for the Saturn available. 
Uh, so it's 96. completely playable. <laughs> yeah. Not, not that you need English to play it, but mm -hmm. you know, from a collector's standpoint, it's interesting. Um, and then uh, 96 did require the 1 meg RAM card. Okay. Specifically, um, the, one, specifically oh. the 1 meg, though, because if you have the 4, it doesn't work. Yeah. That, uh, that PAL version would suffer from the 50 hertz refresh, right? So it would, you know, it would everything my, no? my copy is on the way. <laughs> I actually just bought one um, two, three days ago, so I have not, I've actually shied away from touching most of the PAL stuff. I don't know if it's uh, been PAL optimized or not, I didn't look into it. Okay. I was just excited to find one. Cool. Yeah, but uh, yeah, if you guys want to, if you guys need a fighting game to kill some time and just want to get a feel of it, definitely go with 97. I think it's one of my favorites and I think it's all of our favorites for the most part. I don't know about Kay. I know David likes it at least. Well, he would probably say Virtua Fighter 2 <laughs> since he spent so much time on that game. Right? So. Right. Unless we're talking 2D fighters exclusively. Yeah. But uh, what about you? What about you, Kay? What was your, uh, what was your final number three? And this, this list was really hard to whittle down. Um, I, I'm sure you guys can see. The. Uh, for, for Bang for Buck. Um, I want to throw out an honorable mention, and that is the three-pack. You, They're common games, right? It's Daytona USA, it's Virtual Cop, it's Virtual Fighter, and quite frankly, without a gun, you can't do anything fun with Virtual Cop. Without a CRT, you can't do anything fun with Virtual Cop. It's still a solid game. Um, Virtual Fighter 2 is a very solid fighter. Uh, it's dated, yeah, but it plays so smoothly. And Daytona USA is just fun. You can have that three-pack, or the three games that are in that pack, for really cheap so it's not something to be missed, despite the fact that it's cheap. That said, um, I was a Capcom fighter fan, not a uh, SNK fighter fan. And so my picks, because um, you can still find them you know, under $50, are going to be pretty much any of the uh, Capcom fighters that you can find at that range. So Pocket Fighter is really fun if you, you know, like chibi characters. Um, I play a lot of X-Men vs. Street Fighter and Marvel vs. Street Fighter. Uh, you can't really go wrong with any of them. You know? I agree with that. So, uh, And I was looking at prices this morning on Pocket Fighter, and it's still somewhere between the $30 and $40 range on a lot of auctions. It's still getting up there, but it, it is one that you can have for fairly cheap. I'm shocked at the fact that X-Men vs. Street Fighter and Marvel... Uh, versus Street Fighter, which I got in like 97, 98. I don't remember exactly when. Um, but they're still about the same prices as what I paid, you know, back at that point in time. So, you know, get these kind of games if you're into fighters. Uh, if you like the Capcom stuff, they do require, Pocket Fighter doesn't, but X-Men versus and Marvel Superheroes versus uh, does require the 4 meg RAM cart, or you can get away with using like the action replay 4-in-1. Yeah, I I I've personally been playing X Men versus Street Fighter. Actually, funny enough, I was playing it last night. But uh, it uh, it's probably one of my one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite in the Marvel versus series, just because I I love the the soundtrack and I think it's really fast paced and easy to get get used to. Yeah, it's a lot faster than Children of the Atom or superhero uh, Marvel superheroes. Yes. Yeah. I, I loved all of the Capcom fighters on this system, so. You know, if if I were to to gush, right, like the 
crowning jewel for the Saturn Street Fighter Zero Three. Yeah, Street Fighter Zero Three. Yeah, it it is phenomenal. Um, that game is packed with so much extra content um, in comparison to pretty much any other version. Um, it's not arcade perfect, so people are looking for that. They're they're going to be a little disappointed, but just barely though. By by <laughs> so little, so little. It's just and... that quality. The sound quality is just not there compared to the other versions. There was a couple other things. I think timing, you know, I, I was, it's been a long time, you know, but uh, I, I was reading in the SRK forums that, you know, in comparison, if you wanted to get arcade perfect, then the only option you had was to either get the arcade board or uh, pick up like the alpha collection on PS2. What about the Dreamcast one? The Dreamcast is, uh, was it upper? So it's not the same game as what was you know, like most people experience in the U.S. arcades. Really? I never knew that. Yeah, the Dreamcast... I don't think the Dreamcast version had as... I don't think the Dreamcast version's animation was as good as the Saturn one. I mean, I compared them side by side, and I was kind of disappointed with the Dreamcast version. Plus, you have to... If you're using a D-pad, that's not even an option. You have to go with a fight stick. Yeah. yeah. Hold on a second. So, it, not to have talked about, like, five different games or eight different games in that section, hard but... To. If if you're going to go into Capcom Fighters and money is of no object, or you just don't care and you're willing to burn a game, Street Fighter Zero Three. If you want to collect the you know legitimate um, copies of the disc, Pocket Fighter is actually really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, X Men versus Street Fighter and Marvel uh, Superheroes versus Street Fighter are both great ports. Uh, you even get an extra character um, out of Marvel Superheroes that you didn't have in the U.S. So those are kind of like. The picks that I have for fighters. That's pretty solid. I definitely, definitely agree with you on the the Street Fighter Alpha Three or Zero Three. Absolutely. I definitely, think it's, definitely think it's one of my one of my favorite Marvel fighters on that console. That or X Men vs Street Fighter. X Men vs yeah X Men vs Street Fighter. Yeah, I think that's a game that you should play on any you know if the Dreamcast version is like the only one you can play, that's fine, you know, but. I think it's one that you should try to track down and play in some form. Definitely. Cool. Cool. So, uh, what? I have the last one up. Uh, what's your last choice, Dave? Well, um, I think I am going to go. So, I'm probably gonna go with uh, Sega Rally Championship. Mm-hmm. Yay, that was one of my choices too. <laughs> I think, I th- yeah, I was like thinking Clockwork Knight, you know, Virtual mm-hmm. Fighter 2. But you mentioned the you mentioned the three packs, so you got them covered there. Um, Sega Rally Championship, you really cannot do better than that, I think, if you're into racing games or even if you're not into racing games and you're just kind of like, it, see, because it's got, it's the control is just sublime you know they just for some reason they cat they were able to create this game that is incredibly arcadey at the same time it just has like these nuanced controls that you can really you can really get you know you can be a complete beginner and crashing into walls and still have fun but you can get really really good with those controls and it's just more and more enjoyable the better you get and the more like half a second that you're you're shaving off of your course times and um, it's just one of those games that I feel like I can come back to and come back to over the last 25 years. I've been able to come back to that game and enjoy it and get just as much fun out of it. And my four-year-old even, you know, watches me play and he's like, oh yeah, that's the car game, you know, because that's the only car game. 
that I play that he like he recognizes, you know, and he likes the he likes the you know slight turn maybe, you know. Does <laughs> <Or>, you know. <laughs> he like the game oh, over? Yeah, game over. Yeah, exactly. Easy right turn, baby. Hey, let's look at those course times. Why don't we? Or whatever. <laughs> you know? Damn. Just the just the music. It's just it's just absolutely dripping with the that Sega that mid 90s Sega style and you got um you know Takanova Mitsuyoshi on uh doing the doing the music and uh, I just you know I can't say enough about that game I mean I don't care about the mesh transparencies <laughs> on the car windows or anything I just you know I just love Sega Rally what do you guys think about Sega Rally uh to be honest I actually never played it <laughs> I am so damned happy that you picked this because it so for the listeners, um, we had been trying to organize this for a couple of weeks, and we had some topics that we wanted to hit on, and wanted to put down what was originally like a top five recommended for this before it started kind of getting long, and this was one of my choices, and I'm, just, I'm so damn happy that David picked this out. Uh, this is one of those you know high points in the Saturn library, the U.S. library, and you know the Japanese library that doesn't it's not going to get talked about because everyone knows Daytona USA um, or no one is interested in, you know, sports and racing games. It's kind of, you know, the bastard redheaded stepchild that no one wants to talk about. Pardon the expression, but, um, Oh no, you can, you can, you can yeah, no, the fuck you want on this podcast. <laughs> I the, love this. Uh, it is a fantastic game. It's going to get overlooked by most people at game cons or used game stores, retro gaming stores because it's a sports game and i almost feel like we should do a, an episode just on sports games that are actually worthwhile to pick up because most of them let's let's face it they're crap sports games in general are a dime a dozen uh, um but this is a fantastic game it's a lot of fun and it, it, it's very um japanese culture with how you know the announcers are working Ooh, about it already so you can kind of you know get that feeling but it, it's enjoyable. The, it doesn't matter how, like, like a philosophy I, I've kind of had for a while, it doesn't really matter how bad the graphics are. If the gameplay is there, if the controls are tight and the gameplay is there, it's a classic. Mm-hmm. You can look at any one of these games that, you know, haven't really aged well as far as their graphics content are concerned, but you pick it up and you, they're playable. Right. I mean, same thing goes for film, you know? You can be watching an old black and white movie, but uh, if it's Casablanca or if it's like a, you know, if the story is there, the acting is there, then it it's ages solid, well. you know? It ages well. And this game just has sublime control. I can't, I really can't compare any other Saturn racing game to this game. I mean, other ones mm-hmm. get close and they get the they get the drift mechanic and they get the, you know, the just the, the braking and the way that the car's yep. weight shifts and everything like that, but this game just nails it, and and it just makes me. I think they kind of messed it up with the Netlink version, where they tuned it for the 3D control pad. I, I don't per- particularly like that one. I use I play the original with the with the Japanese original D pad, and it's just perfect. So is the racing games like a? Because I don't really do a lot, play a lot of racing games. Is it like the? arcade games where you like using the wheels the best way to do it or is the wheel just the gimmick in the racing genre i don't think so with the saturn games i think the wheel is analog and does help on certain games and certain games it's not able to save i mean if it's a terrible game like hang on 
you know, the wheel is going to make it slightly more tolerable, but it's not going to make it a good game, you know? Um, Sega, Sega Rally is a beautifully uh, programmed game, and it's, it's great on a D-pad or it's great on a, uh, the steering wheel. I mean, what do you think, Kay? So my confession, I own a Saturn steering wheel, like a Mad Cat's steering wheel. Oh, yeah, I, that's a nice I, one, right? It, it's okay. Um, there's one that I wanted that I think was only released in Europe, that you know, a little bit more that I've never been able to find. But I only ever use that wheel. You guys are going to laugh on Die Hard Trilogy. Oh, <laughs> Die Hard Trilogy. What the hell? Oh, the driving stage. The driving that's so stage. hard without it. Yeah, it, no, it, you're right. It was actually a lot of fun to play Die Hard. I, I mean, I, I feel almost like I need to walk the, the Game of Thrones walk of shame right now with people throwing vegetables at me. Um, Die Hard Trilogy was fun for playing the Die Hard 3 or, you know, uh, game where you're driving around. Mowing uh, things down. Mowing things down. And it was fun with that wheel. And honestly, that is the only reason I owned that wheel. Um, wow. I love the uh, Sega Rally on the controller. Yeah. Um, but yeah cool. <laughs> yeah personally I never really played any of really the racing games because I uh, well if you I, play one if you play one yeah this yeah. is the one. Oh no I definitely I definitely do I need to play that in Daytona USA I mean I know I'm probably gonna get blasted by for saying that but I don't know I just really never was into racing much but I'll definitely pick those games up and I'll let you guys know Play the original Daytona USA if you're going to pick that one up. The was it the Champion Circuit Edition? Um, it added more content, but it just wasn't there. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't as good. I thought. What about that Japanese release? The one that's like uh, where they kept both the music. It's the one. It's like the only Japanese copy of it. I have not played that. Gotcha. Well, you're into uh, you're into manga and anime. So if you you said you were you mentioned that you were going to get into and you know maybe that'll get you, you know, Into excited. You initial D, the, the initial D series. Yeah, I definitely yeah. was interested in getting into that. I guess if you get into that, that might get you excited for you know trying to trying your hand at some driving games. But uh, because mm-hmm. that really goes into like the the technique of driving, and you know, it's not just a it's 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 not a really shallow series. Like it gets it gets really into the driving aspect of things. So I think if you do that, and then you might be interested in trying some Sega Rally. Wasn't there uh, some initial D games on the Saturn as well? There was, but I can't recommend it. Shit, they're bad? I don't think I've played it. Oddly enough, though, I do have an, an initial D VCD that I've played on my Saturn, but not the actual game. I gotcha. Sounds good. I'll definitely have to check those ge- at least those uh, those racing games out. I Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah I guess we, uh, we should wrap it up. Uh, Thank you guys for listening. Um, do you guys want to plug anything or have any content uh, contact info you want to talk tell people? Not really. Just uh, just that I've been enjoying being a part of the Sega Collectors of America group, and you know it's it's a nice little uh, community. Seems like it's growing, and there's excitement there about the console. So it's a good place to it's a good jumping off point place to discuss you know issues, hardware issues, software. Uh, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Saturn COA that's the Sega Saturn Collectors of America um, cool. I have uh, I'm an admin for a couple of Saturn groups also um, the uh, 
primary one that I'm involved in was the Trade Cell Collect group. That's facebook.com slash groups forward slash Sega Saturn. Um, and I do reproductions of uh, Saturn games that, you know, if people are interested in that sort of thing. Talk to him. He can hook you up with uh, maybe Police Knots or maybe he'll flash your Saturn action replay. Or maybe he will just won't. He'll be like, no. 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 Let's see if my printer works this month, right? Yeah, we'll see yeah. if we get that working. But uh, cool. yeah, in terms of myself, uh, I really don't have any Twitter or any contact info. Uh, if you guys would like to contact me on Twitter, my Twitter is at London Beckett. That's L O N D O N B E C C K E T T. Or just uh, the, my name, London Beckett with one T. But uh, yeah, I have a small Twitter. You guys can talk to me on there, ask me questions, and. Uh, I imagine if the show goes on, we'll actually have our own dedicated Twitter and Facebook that you guys can check out, and we'll plug those. But uh, from the Sega Saturn Podcast, uh, thank you guys for listening, and have a good day.